All right, get your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I want to go back to our foundation verse, and I want to build on that over the next couple of weeks. I'll read it again. For those of you that are maybe new here today, we're, we're in a series called Drop the Nets, uh, and we've just kicked this off. We're in our third week. We're, t- we're preaching out of Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. You can follow along with me. As Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he noticed two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. And he watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea. And he said to them, come follow me, and I will transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. And verse 18 is their response. It says immediately, without delay, they dropped their nets. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. I shared with you last week that we need to look at this first invitation to come and follow a little bit differently. I said that disciples are people who are followers of Jesus. They're not passive. They're not... They're not pew sitters, they're not just religious folks, they're not people that go through the motions and punch the religious time clock. True disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus. They pursue him. And I shared with you that sometimes we think when Jesus says, follow me, like he's inviting us to take a nice little leisure stroll along the beach, uh, like where he found Peter and John uh, there on the beach, uh, Peter and Andrew. And um, that's not what he's after. Jesus isn't looking to take walks with us, although that's a nice little image. Really, a better understanding of what Jesus was saying is simply this. Will you make a covenant with me? Will you come into a vital union with me? Will you come into an intimate, lifelong, committed relationship with me? In fact, I shared it this way using a biblical metaphor that's very familiar. Will you marry me? Jesus has proposed to us as his bride, and every proposal needs a response. I remember when I proposed to my wife, I'm still waiting for the response. I hope that we're married because uh, her response was not, yes, I will. Her response was to passionately kiss me. Now, I, I, that was a good response. We were, in a, we were in a private place, and I told her I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, and she threw her arms around me and started kissing me profusely. I took that as a yes, all right? Uh, I took that as a yes. Now, let me ask you this question. When Jesus encountered you, Did you throw your arms around him and start kissing him profusely out of gratitude, out of your devotion, out of your passion, Uh, or did you give him the uh, wet fish, cold fish handshake, Uh, or did you not respond at all, or were you like, okay, well, I'll give it a try? How many of you know if my wife would have coldly said to me, well, I'll give it a try, that would not have been a good start to a relationship. I'm not looking for her to give it a try. I'm looking for her to be crazy about me all the time crazy about me. And guess what? For me to be crazy about her, to love her back the same way. In other words, the invitation to follow Christ is an all-in invitation. We don't follow Jesus with just bits and pieces of our lives. How many of you know he wants us all? And I'm just asking you, when you came to know Jesus and you said yes and you, and you, and you said I do and you got the ring to prove it, uh, have you given all of you to him? Or are you just holding back and giving him like on an installment plan, little bits and pieces? Or for you, was it just a mental acknowledgement that Jesus really rose from the dead, he is who he said he is, and you believe that in your head? But what I'm asking you is, where's your heart? Do any of you besides me, when we're singing these songs, reminding ourselves about what we need to be reminded of, that your heart just gets it, it comes together with your head and the tears start to flow and you start to feel your heart come alive. 
and there's a sense of passion resonating in your spirit because you love Jesus Christ. Not you just like him or you believe in him, but you love him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's a sign of the Holy Spirit bearing witness inside of us that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I want to ask you this question. When's the last time you wept during worship? When's the last time you wept before the Lord? When's the last time you laughed in joy over your salvation because you were so grateful for who God is and for what he's done in your life? I'm not saying it's all about emotions, but I am saying this, that when your heart and your, your head and your heart come together and they're married in pursuit of Jesus, uh, your heart's going to be awakened. Just like if you looked at your spouse and they were just cold as can be and never smiled and never expressed any passion or any love or any sense of joy or any satisfaction, you'd go, wow, our marriage is a mess. Guess what? It's the same thing with Jesus. He expects that kind of response from us, and I want to encourage you to pursue him in that way and to honor him and cherish him and love him. Just like we pledge at the altar, we're going to pledge to love and to be honored and commit ourselves unto even, if, even death itself, uh, that, that love is as strong as death itself. That's the way our love should be. But I want you to look at the second, the second characteristics of a disciple, and, and it's the characteristic of transformation. Jesus says, I will transform you. I will make you, some translations say. And I want to talk a little bit about this promise of transformation. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a lot of us have memorized this verse, but it's a great one to quote. Anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Everybody say gone. And a new life has begun. And that word new means brand new and superior to the previous life. Now, some of you have heard this before, but I think it bears repeating. I, every time I read this, I get excited because when the Bible lists its superstars, it really looks more like a police lineup, all right? Everybody we read about in the Bible uh, is not a, a moral superstar. In fact, that's why I know that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, because the people in the Bible are broken people. I remember when one of my daughters came home from the women's encounter, and I said, what was your Kodak moment? What did you love the best about the women's encounter? And this is what she said. I can't believe that all of our leaders were so messed up. <laughs> you, you know what she was really saying? That was a, that was a, back, a, a side door way of saying, uh, wow, Jesus really does amazing things with broken people. Because what you find at our encounter is there's no perfect people, there's no superstars, there's just broken people who have been encountered by Jesus. And here's the promise, they've been transformed because Jesus has made them into a new, improved, better version of who they used to be. And so take a look at the superstars that we read about in the scriptures. Moses stuttered, and oh yes, he was also a murderer. David's armor didn't fit him. Oh, and by the way, he was an adulterer and a murderer. John Mark deserted the apostle Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. So was Rahab. Samson was a womanizer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor. Jonah ran from the will of God. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Job went bankrupt. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out emotionally. 
John the Baptist was a loudmouth who ate bugs. <laughs> Martha was a worrywart. Mary got accused of being lazy. Noah got drunk. Solomon was too rich. A Samaritan woman was divorced multiple times. Mary Magdalene was demonized. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Zacchaeus was too small. Moses had an anger problem. Miriam was a gossip. Abraham lied. Sarah laughed at the promises of God. Samson had long hair. Imagine that. <laughs> Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus was dead. But how many of you know the good news is God Almighty transformed every single one of these broken, inadequate people and transformed them into something that's absolutely amazing. And here, here's the only hope I have for you guys today. If you qualified and you fit the job description of the Bible's superstars, there's hope for you. Because however you came in here today, I promise you, God's not going to leave you that way. God will absolutely use his power to change us and to transform us and to take our weaknesses and turn them into something amazing for his glory. Does that bring hope to anybody besides me? So if you're here today and you fit any of those qualifications, we're not here to condemn you. We're here to welcome you to the cross and to welcome you to experience the amazing forgiveness and mercy and transform transforming power of the gospel through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of transformation. But I want to highlight this morning the purpose of transformation. You know, sometimes, and I, I've been talking with various leaders, and sometimes leadership and the call to disciple people can be frustrating because sometimes all people are looking for is pain relief. You ever know anybody like that? Just look in the mirror. We've all been there. Pain relief. What pain relief is, I just want you to momentarily fix me and get me out of the mess that I'm in and then forget you, see you later, hasta la vista, whatever, we're out of there. Um, because it really wasn't about the depth of the relationship or true transformation. It was simply about allowing the Lord to remove some of the pain. And many times he does that through the body of Christ, helping people. You know, we've helped people financially. And as soon as they got out of the hole they were in, gone. Not even a goodbye. Uh, sometimes you help people and they steal from you. Sometimes you help people and they don't follow through on their word. And they don't keep their commitment. You know why? Because at the core of their being, they haven't been transformed. They're still selfish, and they're just looking for help from the immediate pain that they find themselves in. How many of you know that's who we are by nature? All of us. And we need a transformation. And I want to show you why. If I ask you, what is the purpose of God stepping into our world and transforming us and redeeming us, what's he getting out of this deal? Why is he doing this? I want to show you that there's only one thing that the Bible speaks of that's God's heart in saving you and what he wants out of that relationship, and here it is. Turn with me or look on the screen, Romans 8, 28. Now, I'm, I got it on the screen, but I don't want you guys to get lazy. So bring your Bibles every Sunday and make sure you know how to find Romans 8, 28. Make sure you can get there. And as we're there, write notes and circle key words and interact with it because it's not about this morning or Sunday or a message. It's about your transformation, all right? So get to Romans chapter 8, and look what it says. We know that God causes everything. Can you just say that with me? Everything. Say it again. 
everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to see this. The calling on your life, which is synonymous with your born-again experience, right? God called you. God always calls you for a purpose. He doesn't just call you to take a stroll on the beach. He calls you for a purpose. God has something in mind. He calls you according to his purpose. So there's something in the heart of God, and we're going to see here in the next verse what it is. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the oldest, the firstborn. I don't mean old in age, but it's like the oldest child, the firstborn child, with many brothers and sisters that follow behind. That's us. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing. That's justification. And having given them right standing, he gave them, excuse me, he gave them his glory. I want you to see what happens. And this is where we get messed up. When you and I were saved, the Bible says we were justified by faith. We, we have now peace with God. That act of justification is a once and for all act. It's where God declares over your life and my life that we are righteous because of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's an instantaneous thing? That's not a progress. That's an instantaneous thing. How many of you have been called by the Lord, you've submitted your life to Christ, and right now this morning, God has declared you justified by your faith? How many of you are talking about? All right, this is important. No one's going to heaven without justification by faith. It is a declaration over your life by the king of glory, God himself, the judge of the universe, that you are righteous. Not because that you're a good person. There aren't, good, there, any, there aren't any good people. We're righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His sinless life, his perfect atoning death, his glorious resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand. And because of what Jesus has done, we're declared righteous. But how many of you know that's not good enough in, in the sense that God's not just looking for position, positional righteousness, He wants us to actually be righteous in real life, in the flesh. That's called sanctification. How many of you know that's a journey? That's a process. Do we have to do it by ourselves? No. We got some helpers. We got the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We got a new heart that was a gift at regeneration that loves God and wants to partner with him. We've got the body of Christ to help us. We've got the scriptures to help us. How I many you know we've got lots of resources on this journey to Christ likeness, but I want to make it loud and clear that the purpose of God in saving you was to make you like Jesus. The purpose of God in saving you was to transform you so that you would look and act and think like Jesus. I got to say it again. You're saved for one purpose, to look and act and behave and love like Jesus. And if that doesn't interest you, let me just tell you something. You might not be born again. You might have a, a, a fake bill of goods. Let me say it again. People that are saved are interested in becoming more like Jesus. 
When they sin, they're grieved over that sin. When they hurt people, they want to go make it right. When they lie, they want to repent and tell the truth. When they steal, they want to pay back because saved people want to act like Jesus because the spirit of the living God is working toward that one goal in our lives to make us like Jesus. And if there's no interest in being like Jesus, who are you? If there's no concern to be like Jesus, who are you? And what concerns me is that our churches in America today are filled with people who in real life have very little interest in pursuing Christ-likeness. How do I know? We don't spend any time with the Lord. We don't know the Scripture. We don't read the Scripture. We don't obey the Scripture. We don't get involved in things that feed us. We're too busy with all kinds of things. In fact, there was a recent study done. Thousands of Christians who found out they were mildly interested in Christ-likeness. They were too busy with other things. What a tragedy if I told my wife that my desire was not really to know her or to spend time with her. I was too busy with other things. What kind of dishonor would that be to her as my wife when I, when I, I chose her out of all the women on planet earth. I chose her. I asked her to marry me. The way I honor her is by pursuing her and loving her and enjoying her and wanting to be with her. And it's the same thing in our walk with God. That's the reason that he chose us. Look what it says in Philippians 1 verse 11. I don't think this one is in your notes. My notes were a work of art this week, all right? Not sure if they made it to the PowerPoint. But listen to me. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, Paul says. What is the fruit of your salvation? He answers, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. How do you know that you're truly born again? I'll tell you, there is a fruit that is produced from the tree when the tree is now holy. What is the fruit? Righteous character. Good works does not save you. Righteous character does not save you. Jesus saves you. But when Jesus saves you, what is his goal again? Christ-likeness. So what is going to be the fruit of your salvation? Righteous character, which means you live different, you act different, you think different, you talk different. Everything about your life is different or in the process of becoming different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what it means. That, That is the purpose of transformation. Let's talk about the process of transformation very quickly here, moving along. The process of transformation. Look at Galatians 4, 19. Oh, my dear children, this is Paul talking to the church, brothers and sisters. Imagine him talking to us today. Oh, he calls us his dear children. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. He uses the picture of a woman in childbirth, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I told you that the goal of discipleship is not just that you and I become more like Christ, but that we help other people become more like Christ, right? It doesn't stop with me. It doesn't stop with you. In fact, the Great Commission really isn't about evangelism. It's about discipleship. Evangelism is just the open door. It's just the starting line. But the Great Commission is about teaching folks, disciples, to obey all the things Jesus said I commanded of you, right? And, and that those folks would teach others who would teach others, and we would start this global, earth-shaking movement of Jesus lovers who love Jesus so much we couldn't keep Jesus to ourselves. I remember, I keep going back to my 
days when I proposed to my wife after that wonderful response. I still remember the balcony there in the, in the student union in the uh, chapel auditorium, the stairwell where I proposed to her. It was a great, great memory. And she said yes by all those smooches. And then this is what she did at about 2 o'clock in the morning. She went and she called her mom on the phone. Here's why. Because joy cannot be kept to yourself. It doesn't matter if it was 2 o'clock in the morning and you don't call people at 2 o'clock in the morning. When your heart is full of joy, you lose track of time. And guess what? My wife was in love, and I was in love. And that's what joy does. It spills out of your heart. So evangelism and discipleship are the fruit. Paul says, look, I'm, I am laboring until Christ is fully developed in your lives. This is the call of shepherds, whether it's a five-fold ministry, whether it's you that are leading life groups, or you that have people that are in your world that you're caring for. How many of you know we should be broken with people's brokenness? We should be hurting over people's pain. We should be grieved over people's uh, sin and bondage. It should break our hearts, which is why Paul says in a number of places, man, I'm burdened not only with the attacks from without, but I'm burdened with all the stuff I deal with within the church. The hurts, the pains that people go through, the attacks that people go through. Why was he burdened? He wants to see Jesus formed in people's lives. So that's the, that's the process here, it's, and it is a process, and I want to encourage you that personal transformation is a journey, and it's not a one-time event. Don't let this message beat you up. I'm here to challenge you today. It, it is a process. You're, you're going somewhere, and you're growing each day. But it's also a journey that we're going to take with other people. This is not an isolated walk, which is why I'm telling you to be committed to the local church. I know what I'm saying is so unfashionable today, but here's why I'm telling you, because you'll never approach Christ's likeness apart from the body of Christ. And let me tell you why. You know, you might be saying, Pastor, I just love to pray. I love to pray. I, great. I'm glad you love to pray. And boy, I love to be in the prayer closet. Great. Stay in your prayer closet. Pray, 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 pray. But listen to me. Holiness is never formed in our lives in isolation. Some people say, just me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. You're living a fairy tale. You're living a fairy tale. We live in a world surrounded with people. The way that you learn how spiritual you are is by being around somebody that irritates the daylights out of you. The way, the way you know how godly you are is to let somebody defraud you. Yeah, let somebody steal something from you. Let somebody not pay you what they owe you. Let somebody talk about you behind, behind your back. Let somebody treat you like they don't like you. Surround yourself with some enemies, and then here's, here's the thing. Then see how, God, see how like Jesus you are. If you got your hands around somebody's throat, you might not quite yet have attained the fullness <laughs> of the maturity of the standard of Jesus Christ. If, if the first thing that spills out of you is profanity, guess what? might have a little sanctification that needs to take place. But you know what? You would never know that that was in your heart if all you did was sit at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee and your Bible having morning devos. Now, I'm not making fun of morning devos. Have morning devos. Read your Bible. Lock yourself in the prayer closet more than you are now. I'm not minimizing any of these things. I'm just telling you, you'll never become like Jesus by yourself. You have to be surrounded by people. You have to be challenged by other people. You have to be encouraged by other people, loved by other people. And that's what Paul's doing right here. Look what else we need, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. Thank God the Holy Spirit ripped the veil off. We can see Jesus. 
We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. Check this out. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. Let me tell you what else. You cannot be like Jesus if you are not cultivating an encounter, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit who is God, who lives inside of us. We say, you know, I have Jesus in my heart. Well, I understand what that means, but Jesus in your heart is not Jesus, the second member of the Trinity. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has a a glorified body like we're going to get. He is not in your heart, but I'll tell you who is in your heart, the person and the precious person of the Holy Spirit. He's as close as your breath away. And he wants to speak to us and lead us and transform us and jerk our chain when we need our chain jerk. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you say something to one of your kids and the Holy Spirit just goes, whoa, where'd that come from? That was a little bit harsh. You need to go deal with that. Who's talking to me? It's the Holy Spirit. Or at work, when you realize you're caught in a little gossip circle and you realize the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? Why are you here talking like this? Represent me. I don't talk like this. And you go, wow, what am I doing? Hey, guys, sorry, I need to leave. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And you move on and you get out of there. You extricate yourself from those situations that aren't anything like Jesus. And you let your mouth become a life-giving source. The Holy Spirit tells us these things if we listen to him. You'll never be like Jesus if you don't have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform you. Let's move on to the next one here. I want to talk about the partnership of transformation. And, and we're just going to get a little real here. Is that okay? The verses I'm going, to, I'm going to read you right now are in the Bible. But you won't hear them in most churches today. And let me tell you why you won't hear them. Because somebody might get offended. Can I just tell you something else? Why are we worried about offending sinful people when we're going to stand before a holy God someday? It seems to me if we cared about people, we'd tell them the truth. To prepare them for eternity, we wouldn't try to sidestep issues that are politically incorrect. So let's just jump right in. Y'all ready? We're just going to jump in with all four feet. Let's talk about the partnership of transformation. This is where we get into our responsibility, partnering with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23 with me. Not all who sound religious are really godly people. Can we just pause right there? Not all who sound religious are really godly people. Can I just tell you this? Tomorrow morning, there's going to be a lot of religious people promoting things that in the verses I'm reading, the Bible and Jesus Christ specifically condemns. And they're going to have clerical garments on, They're going to have all the exterior signs that they are holy people while they scream and yell and propose things that cause Jesus to be crucified. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't get to heaven. How many of these people have the right language? For the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, talking about the end of the age, the great judgment, Many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you, and we even used your name to cast out demons. Wow, these are some serious folks. And to do many other great miracles. But look what Jesus says. I'm going to reply to them, you have never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. Notice this. They profess to be Christians. They sound religious. They call him Lord. They do Christian things, 
but their deeds are still evil. How many of you know how we live is the most powerful indicator of what's really happened in our hearts? It doesn't matter the books that we read, the language that we use, the church we attend. None of those things prove the authenticity of our encounter with Jesus. Only one thing does. Obeying God. Which means good works are not what save you, but good works are the indication that you're truly saved. And so the Bible says we can look at a tree and see what kind of fruit it's grown. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. In other words, we're not judging people on on their worthiness to go to heaven based on their good deeds, but your good deeds authenticate that you got the real deal. Wouldn't it be, I'm, I'm just pleading with you this morning, wouldn't it be a tragedy to stand before God someday? And Jesus Christ looks at us and says, you were never mine. What if you're standing at the altar, and I'm so excited, I've asked my wife to marry me, she said yes, I gave her the engagement ring, and now we're standing there face to face, and instead of her bridal party, right, her her maid of honors, she, she has eight men that are standing there with her. And I said, who are these guys? Oh, they're my boyfriends. I'm going to marry you, but they're still going to be my boyfriends. I'd be going, what? There's no boyfriends in this relationship. You have to leave all those boyfriends because I'm your boyfriend. And you have to be mine. How many know the word mine? is possessive. Say, well, Jesus, you're so possessive. Yeah, so are we every time we get married. I didn't marry her and all of her boyfriends. They're not all living at my house. They're not all sharing our wedding bed because she committed herself to me, and guess what? I gave myself to her. When Jesus says, you were never mine, he's saying, I never really had your heart. You're a two-timer. You lived your whole life being a two-timer. I never had your heart. I don't know about you. These are sobering portions of Scripture. And if anybody's not feeling uncomfortable this morning, you're dead. If you are feeling uncomfortable, perfect. Because what is the purpose of the truth of the Word of God? It's to cut us, to challenge us, to provoke us to righteousness. Let me read another passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The cravings of the self-life. Anybody know about the cravings of the self-life? Boy, I do. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Well, what are they? Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments. Can I just tell you the church is oftentimes full of senseless arguments that are rooted in selfishness? Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder. 
uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all similar behavior. Okay, so what, were that, what was that list? These are all signs of our self-life, the cravings of our self-life. Any of you ever been there? Probably all of us. We all fit that list probably somewhere. But look what it says next. Paul says, haven't I already warned you that those who use their, quote, freedom for those things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? Here's what this is saying. It's not saying that if you've ever stumbled and looked upon a pornographic image, you're not, there's no hope for you, you're never going to heaven. That's not what this verse says. It's not saying if you got angry this week, you're, there's no hope for you. That's not what this verse says. This is what this verse says, though. Let's just say you've been a Christian for a decade. You've known Jesus for a decade. And you're still wallowing in the same filth and eating the same vomit that you ate on a regular basis a decade ago? What's up? Does the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, not have enough power to change my old self-life? Or am I still trapped by sins that, here's, check this out, at the end of the day, simply make me feel good, even if it's only momentary. You know why we explode in anger at people? Because it feels good. Boy, I gave them a piece of my mind. I feel really good. You know why we look at porn? It gives us a momentary high. You know why we think lustful thoughts? It's pleasurable to our flesh. You know why we manipulate people? Because we want to be in control. I mean, it's all about me, 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 me. And here's my question to you. Where, where does Jesus begin to transform us to where we're not that same person we used to be? And I realize it's a process. And, and trust me, I realize addictions and these kinds of things sometimes are very deep but here's my question is the grace of God and the power of God deeper you know sometimes I preach these kind of sermons and I, people look at me and they're like well pastor you just you don't understand I, let me just tell you something and this is the good news thank God we all don't have to have a personal experiential understanding of every single kind of of bondage and perversion and pain and hurt and everything else. Thank God for that. But you know what? There is one person who did experience all of that on himself, on the cross, and that's Jesus Christ. And his authority is more than your pastor's opinion. And I'm not speaking out of opinion this morning. I'm speaking out of authority this morning. I'm telling you that you can't two-time the Lord Jesus Christ and stroll into heaven full of bondages and addictions Uh, that you simply have chosen not to deal with because you're living for yourself and you're not living for Christ. That's the gospel. And I want to say this loudly and clearly. If you think that and you're still playing with those kinds of things and you won't repent of that and you won't get serious about Christ's likeness, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just, I'm, Paul said, I've already told you all multiple times. He He was pleading with them to come out of their delusions. There will be people at the state house tomorrow living, living a lifestyle of what I just talked about who are bold about it, aggressive about it, and boasting about it, and thinking they're going to heaven. What a deception. 
What a deception. Do you know why, why the Bible says, I wish you were hot or cold? Because listen, people that are stone cold and far from God have more hope than people who are lukewarm, playing around and think everything's kind of okay. God would rather have you know that you're lost than have you be deceived into thinking that you're good to go when your life is full of compromise and you got eight, you know, eight two-timers over here that you're wanting to be married to along with Jesus Christ. It doesn't work that way. Last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize, Paul says, that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, which sexual sin is idols, or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. Is that in your guys' Bible? Practice homosexuality. You're not born that way, and that's not who you are, and that's not just love is love, and we're not going to just embrace. If you practice homosexuality as a lifestyle, if you're a thief, a greedy person, a drunkard, you're abusive, you cheat people, none of these are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. Here's the hope for all of us. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now see that phrase, some of you were once like that. That's good news. Do you know that in the state of California, it's illegal to try to help somebody get out of a homosexual lifestyle who wants to get out? It's illegal. And here's why it's illegal. You can't change them. They're just born that way. The Bible says you're not born that way. The Bible says you're born a sinner. The Bible says that we're selfish to the core. And that selfishness will always seek to please itself. It will always seek to do what makes me feel best. Jesus kills selfishness by giving us a new heart. A heart that loves him. A heart that has passions for him. A part a heart that wants to know him. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And he tells us this through the Apostle Paul. Some of you were once homosexuals, but you're not anymore. Some of you once lived in wild orgies and sexual pleasure. That's what you lived for. But that was who you used to be. That's not who you are because you've been cleansed and you've been filled with the Spirit when you called out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are angry, vile people but you have been cleansed. Some of you were, were liars and thieves and cheaters and everything was all about you. Some of you were that way, but you have been cleansed by Jesus and you no longer act that way because it's not part of your nature. I'm talking about a supernatural transformation that has to happen. Now, I'm not talking about people who say, oh, pastor, I stumbled this week. I had a lustful thought. Let me tell you what you are. You're normal. You're a human being. You live in a fallen world. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about people who willfully wallow in the flesh, who willfully live for sensual pleasure. And that is an idol in their life. It's like having somebody else in your bedroom, uh, in your bed, besides the one you're married to. And the Lord's saying, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Isn't this the question 
Is Jesus Christ satisfying enough to lead to maximum pleasure in your life and my life? Or is he not enough? Because this is what idolatry is. And I I weep in my own heart. Because we all still continue to struggle with things. How many know I need you? I need the Holy Spirit. I need what I'm preaching to you this morning. But it says something about us, not about Jesus, that he is not satisfying enough. That I don't find content. You know, if I, if I looked in my wife's eyes and said, you know what, honey, I'm sorry, our relationship is not satisfying enough. I have to find fulfillment in gambling, in pornography, in womanizing, in drugs, in lying, in cheating, uh, in whatever, in money, and stuff. What I'm saying is, you're not enough, and you don't satisfy. You know how devastating that would be to tell my wife that? Can you imagine on the great day when we stand before Jesus Christ, he's still wearing the marks of his suffering, and you look him in the face, and your heart knows you have been an absolute adulterer, liar, cheater, conniver. You live for yourself, but you went to church every now and then, Christmas and Easter. You sign the card. You think everything is good, but in those blazing eyes, at that moment, he looks right through you, and he says to you, you were never mine, and I will not share you with anyone else. And you'll know, and I would know at that very moment, guilty as charged. The problem is at that moment, it's too late. It's too late. It's just too late because my life was the opportunity to demonstrate my superior love and passion for Jesus Christ by the way that I live my life. And I failed where it mattered the most because I had no fruit of genuine conversion. I had no fruit that I loved Jesus more than, than everything else. And my own lifestyle condemns me before the Son of God. And he just says, you weren't mine. I think of those little Valentines, you know, that we give out the little heart-shaped candies. Be mine, be mine, be mine. You know, at salvation, Jesus gives us a little be mine. And he gives us all of himself, and he wants us to give all of ourselves back. You know, I'm, I'm not here this morning. Please hear my heart. You know, when you preach messages that are biblical, you get accused of being controlling, you don't have grace, you don't love people. I can't think of anything more loving than Jesus wanting to give us all of him and us responding fully back and throwing away every idol, every false thing that we're holding, getting rid of things, leaving them at the altar, saying, Jesus, I want you to take me completely. Because listen to me, we will never have any hope of transforming what goes on out there if we're not blazing hot and pure in our own hearts and being able to carry the heart of God and loving lovers of Jesus at the core of our being, we will never fulfill our mission to transform this nation. So it starts with the church, with the bride, getting her heart back. It starts with us repenting and just saying, God, I want you. You know, I love the way that verse ends, that last verse. It says, because we called on the name of the Lord. We cried out to Jesus, and then we relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I know about the Lord. He's so merciful and kind and long-suffering. 
He knows that all of my little idols will never satisfy me. They'll destroy me. And they'll destroy the people that I love. And so he messes with my idols. And when I bring him my idols, I don't get less. I get more. I get more of him. I get more of what I was created to be. So here's what I want to do. I just want our worship team to come. If you guys can just play, just, just worship the Lord with your music. I don't want any singing going on right now. But I do believe it's important that we have opportunities to truly repent, opportunities to cry out to God, opportunities just to say, Lord. Even if you're, if you're some of you might be good right now, man. You're like, yeah, I love God. I want to please the Lord. I, I, I want to be a disciple. I love, I, I, I love him. But I mean, you know, there's just, there's just something beautiful about saying, Jesus, I'm hungry for more. What I have is not enough. I want more. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to experience you. God, strip these things off of me that keep tripping me up. God, deliver me from myself. Some of you need to get delivered from strongholds. But I mean truly delivered like you're like, God, I believe that you can transform people. I believe you, Lord. And there's a desperation in your heart. So I just want to leave the altar open right now. You guys feel free. If you got something you want to lay here, if you have something you want to exchange, if you need to tell some people, you know what, I'm not married to you any longer. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about idols in our life. That we just need to say, Lord, forgive me. Some of you need to renew your marital vows to Jesus. You need to check your heart to make sure that he's number one in all of your affections. He's number one. That's what's important. So you know what? We're just going to worship here. If you need to leave, bless you. If you need to slip out, just quietly do so. We're not going to take a long time. It doesn't require a long time. But I, I'm asking you today, if you are partnering with Jesus in the pursuit of Christ's likeness, are you running with him? Are you pursuing him with a, with a heart that's burning? That's what I'm asking you. So Lord, here we are. Here we are. Stand to your feet with me. Father, we're here to do business with you. I pray that you just gently, as the way the Holy Spirit does, just gently probe right now. And you know what I'm asking? Here's, what, here's all I'm asking as your pastor. Just obey. Obey what the Holy Spirit's saying. If there's something you need to let go, let it, let it go. If you need prayer for something, we have our pastors and elders up for We want to agree with you, our ministry team leaders. We want to agree with you. Sometimes you just need to say, I'm sick of this. I'm, I'm tired of this way I've been living. I need to repent. Here's another thing. You know, if you're, there's been lying or cheating or corner cutting or whatever else going on, um, you need to make restitution. You need to find people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ that you've spoken ill against or you've not acted properly. And you need to say, hey, please forgive me. I don't want to act that way. I, I wasn't very very Christ-like. I wasn't much like Jesus there. So let's, let's just deal with our hearts. Let's, let's deal with the junk. Let's renew our vows today, our commitment to loving Jesus and letting him change us. Father, thank you for these amazing people, for this church family. God, I pray their hearts are encouraged today to pursue you, to love you, to drop all the nets, all the things we've held on to. Drop the nets, drop the nets. Don't play with sin. Lord, free us. Awaken us. 
Unite us, Lord, in the purpose for which you've called us. Jesus, we love you and we honor you and we thank you now in your mighty name. Amen, amen. Again, if you need prayer, come on down. If you don't know Christ, don't leave here today without knowing Jesus Christ. We want to pray with you, all right? Don't leave here today. But have an amazing week. Let's go impact people for Christ. Amen. Go love on some people. Impact people. Amen.